Okay, so what we're doing today <clears throat> is a little bit different from what I said that yesterday, last Sunday, and as much as we're going to continue what we did last week. So as we kind of wind down our series over the summer about uh, kind of basic Christianity, trying to understand what is the gospel, where does our assurance of salvation come from, uh, all number of things that are like the foundations that we need to have in, you know, as we kind of walk with Christ, we're ending with a couple of weeks on the scriptures themselves. And last week I gave you guys a quiz. If you weren't here, then you, I'm not going to re-quiz you. So everything will be fine, okay? But last week you had a chance to fill out a sheet of paper. And I basically asked you two questions about every book in the New Testament. What were the two questions? Do you remember? What's the main theme? And then? Anything you love from it, okay? And all, all I want to know, well, what I want you to help you kind of you know, assess and then obtain is... How opaque or how transparent are the scriptures to you? Is like, I don't know what Galatians is about, and I've never read 2 John. I have no idea what's in there. Or maybe I read them like when I was in high school, but I could not tell you. If I put a gun to your head, which I won't do, and said, what is 3 John about? Do you have any idea? And I, I just want to suggest that it will be really helpful. The more familiar you are with it, not because you've memorized some list, but because you just, you just know it. You know what's going on, that would be helpful. And so as we... What we did is we kind of walked through about half, maybe two-thirds of the New Testament main themes. And we didn't get at all into the, any of the favorite passages. So we're going to talk about the favorite passages. I want to finish up at least giving you, giving you guys a chance to, to show off on what do you know about the main themes of each book in the New Testament. And then we're going to, we'll definitely finish that this week. And then next week we're going to transition to Old Testament. So if you began to cram for the Old Testament... There's good news, you have one more week, okay? And then I'm going to give you a sheet just like the one that you have now. There's going to be just a list of the, there's not, although it's longer, there's not 27 books. How many books are in the Old Testament? 39, okay? So it's like a little bit, few more. But do you have any idea what the heck is going on? What's the difference between Leviticus and Deuteronomy? Have you any idea what's going on? Why is there like 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, 1 Kings, 2 Kings? How do those things, like, what's going on in that? You know, you don't have to answer that. But next week, next week will be your, your chance to kind of see, what do I know about the Old Testament? And then we'll kind of spend a week or two, probably a couple weeks, kind of unpacking what you found there. Okay? So, Joyce. I have a theoretical question. Theoretical, okay. What if each book of the Bible has more than one thing? Okay, so um, they do, right? And so as we do this, um, I'm, I'm in, I think that you could say, did the author have a main point? But some, sometimes you're like, ah, but there's a few things going on, right? And sometimes it's hard to combine all things in a, into one, and that's fine. So you might say, I don't think I could reduce, I don't know, pick a book, you know. For, yeah, so 1 Corinthians is great. Yeah, excellent. So, but, but Joyce, even the fact that you know that that's the case, that you're like, 1 Corinthians defies tidy summary. Well, that suggests that you know what's going on in 1 Corinthians, right? You might be able to say, you know, it's holy living, because he's dealing with, y'all are not living holy, you know. You could say it's errors in the church, because he's dealing with, the, you, you're screwing up communion, or you're, you know, whatever, all these kind of things. But, again, it's not, it's not that I've got some revealed answer I want you to have, as much as I want, to, I want you to be able to ask the question, do I have any idea what's going on in 1 Corinthians? Have I begun to do the work to become familiar with, to feel safe in, to know that if I had a question about, I don't know, about the resurrection from the dead... Where would I go? I'd go to 1 Corinthians 15 because that's what it's about, you know. But so do you, do you have that? I'd like, and I want folks to be able to say, like, I have this or I don't have this, but I want it, and so I'm going to get it. Does that, does that make sense? 
Okay, very good. All right, so I need your help in reminding me, because I, I was trying to think, like, where did we stop? We didn't finish. I know we didn't finish, and I feel like we didn't even finish Paul. But then I was thinking, but didn't we talk about Hebrews? Because that's later on. So where did we stop? And I have to, hang on, and I, I swallowed water earlier, and I'm going to hang on a second. I'm just going to clear this. <coughs> Uh, it's going to keep happening. I've got like, one drop of water right here. Can we get you water? Oh, the water will make it worse. It's in my, it's in my lung. So, okay. So, is that Becky? I'm blind, Becky. Becky Fetzer. So, we did um, Colossians, and then you wanted to skip to um, Hebrews and um, Hebrews and what? Hebrews and Philemon. Why would I do that? Okay, that makes sense because I'm like, we didn't do any of the T books. So we're going to go back. We're going to go back. So we did Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians being like the, this, well, we, we talked, what is Colossians? Did I do it? What's it about? It's like Ephesians. It's very good. It's a parallel to Ephesians. Very good. And what? Holy living. Holy living. Yeah, you can get that out of Colossians. Um, it's error. It's like Gnosticism. It's about like false teachers. There's a couple of books that have a theme of false teachers. Kelly was just saying how she just finished reading through the Bible in a year slash seven months and ten days. And uh, you, were, you were saying how there's like so much about false teachers. There's like a lot of like bad stuff going down in the New Testament that they're combating all the time. And that's, uh, so that's, that's noteworthy for us, okay? So Colossians will talk about Gnosticism is a, is a weird error, but it parallels Ephesians, which leads us to what's next? All right, all the T books are together in alphabetical numerical order. Have you ever noticed that? So you're going to have 1st uh, Thess, 2nd Thess, 1st Tim, 2nd Tim, Titus. This is convenient. They're all together. And by the way, Paul's letters, they're also arranged from longest to shortest. Do you ever notice that? So like Romans goes on forever. Philemon is this long. So this is general trend that it gets shorter as you go. Okay, so what 1st Thess? What's 1st Thess about, you guys? Okay, very, very good. I love that answer, Joe. I'm going to come back to you in one second. John? Oh, she stole it. Okay, so... You guys, 1 Thessalonians, massive theme is the return of Christ. In fact, if you want to just prove it real quick, just take a look. Just go to it. If you've got a Bible, look at the last like verse, last two verses of chapter 1. And the last couple of verses of chapter 2. Last couple of verses of chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians is all about the return of Christ over and over and over again. Whatever else he's talking about, it all comes back to this, which is great. I love the return of Christ. But why would that be the theme in Thessalonica? Why, 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 what was going on that made him write about that? John? From the, uh, from the context of this uh, letter, but it sounds like somebody had, uh, some teacher had come in and uh, was telling them that they had the Lord had already come and they Yes. Okay, so this is, okay, I want to share something. Say, baby, can you go into that little room that's like the backstage room? My cell phone is on that little counter. Can you bring that to me? It's right there. <coughs> Brian, you know where it is, Brian? Okay, say to you off the hook. Brian, thank you. Okay, uh, something I want to read you. So, so, so what John said is true. Like, so the Thessalonians were all freaked out about uh, the return of Christ. And what, what, it's actually an interesting thing, phenomenon of all of Paul's letters that you could ask the question when we say, what is the theme about? Another way to ask that question is, what was wrong in this city? Okay, so all of Paul's letters, with the exception of Romans, are what we would consider episodic. That's it. Thank you, brother. Are episodic. They're, they're 
or they're, they're, uh, <coughs> they're responding to some error. It might be an error of belief. It might be an error of thought. Something is going on, and he's like, oh, I got to get this. I got to fix this. Hang on, I'm just going to cough all day. Hang on. Where's the switch? Um, hang on, I want you to read some. I want, I want to read something really quick that I just thought of. We need to stop and play for you. Okay, let's do that. <laughs> Go ahead. Lord, we lift up Tim, and this is an obvious attack to and we don't want to just let it go and let it suffer. He's, he's giving us your word, and it's important. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, because we're that you would heal him of this. Whatever is the smooth it out, and that you may be honored, and that Tim may be blessed, and that we may hear your word clearly. We praise you, and we thank you for this answer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. The Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective, so you are now on the hook. We're going to see what happens. Okay. So... So this is, this is a tweet from somebody that I don't know that I thought this, thought this was interesting. and It has bearing on the first Thess thing. It says, the two kinds of Pauline epistles are, number one, we are heirs through unfathomable grace to unimaginable glory. That's true. Or number two, I am as a personal favor begging you sick little freaks to act normal for five minutes. Okay. <laughs> That's what Paul's letters are. It's like, oh, all that we have, unimaginable grace, unfathomable glory, and just seriously knock it off, right? Okay? So in Thessalonica, they were all wrapped around the axle on the return of Christ, and then it was manifesting in a number of different ways. One of them was like, then nobody wanted to go to work. It's like, why bother? Jesus is coming back. And so Paul's like, uh, get a job. And when Paul goes to Thessalonica, though he doesn't need to get a job because he's worthy of being a supported missionary, he gets a job. Because he's modeling to them how we do this. And so what you want to do when you read Paul's letters is you kind of want to reverse engineer. Like, what was going on here? What, what problem are you, are you solving? What question are you answering? Sometimes it's a little more obvious than others. But in Thessalonica, um, they were, there was a lot of like misunderstanding, a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety about the return of Christ. And so he writes to correct that. But he writes, it is far and away his, his favorite community. He love, love, loves the Thessalonians. It's where we get one of my favorite passages, 1 Thess 2.8. You guys have had this memorized? We've talked about this here. Anybody have 1 Thess 2.8? You know this one? It's, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us, right? It's a very, very warm letter. He would not call the Thessalonians sick little freaks, but he would say, my goodness, get a job, Okay. What's second Thess? Same. Same. Okay, so sometimes you write a letter, and that letter is Bible, and it doesn't fix it. So be, be, <coughs> be a good, it didn't help. Sorry, you're sinning. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's just a slow workout, and you're very, very righteous. This could be. So we'll see, right? Maybe by the end of the hour. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't fix it immediately. They're still, they're still afraid. Sometimes things take multiple applications. And so second Thess is going to have more content about the return of Christ um, and some really reassuring, really wonderful promises that are laid out there. 
okay? When you see the Thessalonians, just think return of Jesus. Or, if, or another way to do it is if you're curious about the return of Christ and you want to ponder these things, those would be two great letters. Take a week. Read through them each several times. Ponder, what is he saying? How do, what, how do I make sense of this? Thessalonians' return of Christ is a great association, okay? Timothy, you've got two of those. What's going on with 1 Timothy? What's that about? Church order. Church order? Who said that? Nick? Yes, church order. So what kind of a letter is 1 Timothy, Nick? Instruction. Uh, yeah, there's another heading that we would put it, put it under, though. <laughs> you guys know? Pastoral epistles, okay? So Paul's letters, we break them down into the general epistles, which he's writing to all the riffraff. That's you, okay? The hoi polloi. And then there's a couple of letters where he's not writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to the pastor at Ephesus. That's Timothy, right? So the pastoral epistles, there's three of them. They all start with T. They're first Tim, second Tim, and Titus, okay? So normally he's writing to the congregation, but sometimes he's writing to the head guy. Say, hey, man, you got to clean that mess up. What's going on with that? And first Timothy is one of them. So what do you guys know about Timothy? Not, not the letter yet, the, the man, the person. I can't find your lips. Who said that? Where are we? Okay. Yes, so, so absolutely. So Timothy is, Timothy is a, a, a partner of Paul's in ministry. He's a junior partner. He's a younger guy. Um, and he is like a son to Timothy. Paul adores Timothy. He is his kind of right-hand man. And he, and, he, and he journeys with him after, like he gets in this fight with Barnabas. Timothy joins him. And then Paul gives him a very significant assignment to pastor. I just told you, but where is he, where is he pastoring? Ephesus. Ephesus. So Paul becomes, or Timothy becomes the pastor in Ephesus. Um, what is the, what challenge does Timothy face when he gets there? Okay, this is tough. So he's, yeah, he's, he's kind of mixed lineage. He's half Jewish, half Greek. So Paul circumcises him as like an adult male. That's not fun um, to take him on a missionary journey. And then he, when he becomes the pastor, what, what are the, what, what's hard about assuming the role in Ephesus, do you think? Do you remember? He's young. He's young. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, he says, right? Timothy's kind of a weak, frail constitution. There's some health issues. Paul speaks into that. And so 1 Timothy is essentially, it's, it's clutch reading for pastors. Here's how you do it. It's where we get probably what Nick meant when he said church order. I, unpack that a little bit, Nick. He just gives instruction. <clears throat> Elders and deacons. That's it. Yes, and such, right? So what is the role of a pastor? What is the role of an elder? What is the role of a deacon? You don't have to guess. You don't have to make this stuff up. That's all in First Timothy and then also in Titus, which we'll get to in a second, right? Second Tim doesn't have as much of that because he already covered it. He told Timothy once. He doesn't have to tell him again, but he didn't tell Titus, so he tells Titus. So we get these, we get the sense of what, what is the rules for a church? And there's some other particular things that, are, that they're facing there. He talks about how we should um, deal with widows, right? So every culture, every society, for whatever reason, the men die first, right? Have you noticed this in life? Like older populations, there's a lot more widows than widowers. So what does the church do about that? How do we, how do we provide and care for the older women whose husbands have died? What, what do we do about that? And so Timothy is very practical, very particular, but if you're interested in church order, like how do we do this? What is an elder? Should I be an elder? What should that do? Timothy's a great book. First Timothy's a great book for that. How does 2 Timothy differ? What's going on there? <clears throat> False teachers. 
Yeah, Joyce? Okay, that's a pretty good list, right? And again, Kelly and I were just talking about it. And what, what, what was the observation you made about Second Tim the other day? I don't remember. You don't remember? <laughs> you talked about how he drops a million names in Second Timothy, right? Remember that? Like, so there's, there's like a whole bunch of, he's like, Timothy, be, you know, how many is in Philetus? These guys are a mess. Alexander, the metal worker, did me a great deal of harm. Oh, be on your guard. Like, he's like, all these people, be on the lookout, right? So it's not even just false teachers as much as it's like, opposition. And he's telling Timothy, man, there's a lot of people that are gunning for you. He says, everyone, everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me. They're all gone. Only Luke is with me. He's in prison. He says, when you come, bring me my scrolls, especially the parchments. He's asking for his Bible. He asked for a cloak because he's cold. So Paul is in prison. Things have been really difficult. We're near, I'll come to you in one second, John. I promise. Um, He's, things are difficult, and he's writing to his number one guy, and it's, it is the passing of the baton, right? He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will award me on that day, not only to me, but to also to all who has longed for his appearing. The Timothy, get it done. Go. Complete the task. Finish the race. So it's a very, it's a very serious letter. It's a very somber letter, and yet it's a letter infused with joy. If you were in here in the morning, we're, we're doing a, a short series on joy that transcends circumstances, and 2 Timothy is about joy that transcends circumstances. Circumstances are poor. Paul has laid down his life for the spread of the gospel through Asia, and he says from prison, everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, and I'm pinning my hopes on you. And then he's like, and, then he's like, and yet... It's all going to work out because God will accomplish his purposes. I know that which he's entrusted. It's all going to work out. So he has this transcendent sense. Second Timothy is a, is a glorious book. Okay, uh, John, you wanted to say something? <clears throat> this seems kind of like Paul's victory lap because he's, uh, he seems to be expecting uh, his trial apparently to not go well in this, this trial. And uh, he's anticipating execution. That's right. Absolutely, he does. So Paul, in case you couldn't hear that, that he uses his legs, my life, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. And that's what he means when he says, you know, I've fought the good fight, I've run the race. Now there is in store for me. He's, he anticipates his death. So he is seeing the end of his life, the end of his ministry, and the passing of this to the next, next generation. So there's a lot happening. It's a short letter. It's only four chapters, but it's, a, it's fantastic. I love Timothy. I'm a huge fan. And then I love, 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 love Titus which we've done about here. So you guys should be able to crush this, okay? Two, we just did it like a few weeks ago. What are the two big concepts of Titus that come together in a really powerful way? Titus, Titus, Titus. Remember? Savior, the Savior, the Savior, the Savior. Do what is good, do what is good, do what is good. You remember this? That half of, half of, of all the number of times that Jesus is called Savior in the New Testament, half of them are in this little three-chapter book of Titus. And he's, the refrain is, do what is good, do what is good, do what is good, which is so interesting, right? Because the essence of our doing what is good is not because Jesus is Lord and he's going to smack us if we don't, but it's because he's our Savior who loves us. It's his grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness, right? So Titus is a rich little short book. Um, strongly recommend. I love that. Okay, so that's all the tea books. Paul's got one or maybe two, one more. What's the last Paul book? Philemon, which we talked about, right? We did that one. And then what's the maybe Paul book? Hebrews. Nobody knows. 
I mean, maybe. I don't know who wrote it. So Hebrew, but we did Hebrews last week too, right? Yeah. Okay, so that gets us all through Paul. You got Paul, Philemon, uh, you got Hebrews, and then what comes after Hebrews? James. Okay, we, I don't know why we memorize this little phrase, he jams Pete. I don't know what that does for you, but that's how it goes from there, right? So if you have like little, little like mnemonics to help you get, after Hebrews, it's James and then Peter. So he jams Pete. Did I learn that from you like in college? I think I did. So James, James is freaky. Okay, what is going on with James? What's that book about? Don't be merely hearers of the word. Do what it says. Very good. How, how would you characterize James? He's very practical. Very practical. Yeah. It's a sermon on the mount. Sermon on the mount. He quotes the sermon on the mount all the time, right? It's, it's all command, command, command. Command, 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 command. Yep. His sources, sermon on the mount is a major source for James. Um, yeah, and it's weird. There's a bunch of dudes named James. We think it's Jesus' brother, like actual brother that he grew up with. Which, can you imagine, is that good or bad growing up? Would you like it if your brother was like the son of God? I don't know what that is like, but that'd be strange. Okay, so probably Jesus' brother, who was initially like skeptical of him, but comes to faith, if we're right about, about which James that it is. Yeah, John? Yeah, I'm thinking, thinking of all the mean truths and symbols play on each other. Can you imagine after you find out? Yeah, no, right? Yeah, Jesus can just be like, he, if your brother was Jesus, he could he could pull some tricks on you. That Jesus, brother wasn't all that high on Jesus when Jesus was alive and doing his ministry. It's like he finally came around and gave yep. a little respect. But when they were alive, he wasn't right. honoring or following. Doesn't that just give you hope? Yes. You know, like, did you hate your siblings when you were a kid, but then love them now? Like that was true for me, and like. So even with Jesus, they're still like, ah, Jesus always, I don't know. I mean, what could he have complained about? He always cleaned his room. I don't know what it is. Make, make you look bad. Okay, so James is, he's drawing on the Sermon on the Mount. What else, you know what else he loves, what James draws from? Proverbs. Proverbs, who said that? That's exactly right. Very, very good. I don't know who you are, your voice from the darkness. Good job, Hannah. Right, he draws, draws from Proverbs. Now, James seems curmudgeon Do you get that impression? He's just like, friggin' do it. Gosh, why are we having this conversation again, right? So there's just very, there's a terseness. He's like, this, here it is, here it is, here it is. Um, very, very, you know, boom, boom, boom. It's, he gets in a fight with Paul theologically over the centuries, right? Because Paul's like, we're saved by grace alone, apart from works. And James is like, prove it, you know? Show me. Show me that you did it. And for, for centuries, people are like, how do we make sense of James and Paul, would they be friends? Like, how does this work out, right? And it's a really, it's a worthwhile conversation. Yes, we're saved by grace. But as John Calvin said, it is faith alone that saves. But the faith that saves is never alone. And James and Paul, there is no contest there, but it, there's an apparent contest. But it's actually, we just need to have a more robust understanding that the faith that saves is going to produce a change. And James is pretty much like, ah, I've seen a lot of people talk. Is, James's point is like, talk is cheap. You believe? Okay, great. Shh, prove it. Let me see it, right? And it's not the proof that saves. It is the faith that saves. But you can claim to have faith and have nothing. So what are we doing here, right? So James is great. Very, very, very particular. Anything you want to add about James? Yeah, Joyce? Um, was James writing in Greek or Aramaic? Because I get that feeling that he was writing to Jewish believers. And I was wondering if some of the conflict comes because, like, the translation... Yeah. You like translating both of 
talking about Abraham, they all use the word justice. Yeah. And I remember hearing that, like, he's using the word justification, justify in a different way. That's right. Okay, this is great. So Joyce is asking the question: Did James was James written? So mo, the New Testament was written. We would say in, it was written in Greek. Um, she's saying, is that true of James, or could it be that James was written in Aramaic, which is kind of like like a Hebrew dialect of the day, and then translated? Does that kind of create some of the potentially kind of weirdnesses? And the short answer is, I don't know if James was written originally in Aramaic. I've never heard that, but it's. Certainly, it's, maybe, maybe that could be true. I don't know if it's true. But it is true that our what we would consider to be the, the best manuscript evidence would be in Greek. Now, which is a little bit unusual because these guys did speak Aramaic. I mean, they were Jews for the most part. Luke, perhaps not. But others, um, but it seems that the, it was written in Greek because that was the language of the day, the common lang- you know, the common tongue. But I don't know if there's any evidence. That would be, that'd be very easy to research that. Is there any evidence of a pre-Greek Aramaic copy of James? But if so, I've, n- I've never heard of it. Okay, all right. Uh, we're gonna keep going, bro, because we just got we got a lot to cover. So Hebrew James, what's next? Peter, First Peter. Okay, you guys don't break my heart. We spent like three months on this. What's First Peter about? Strangers in the land. Very good, excellent, very very good. What else? Would you add anything to that? Living hope, living word, living stone. Uh, what what do the strangers in the land do? He set apart. We're set apart. We're weird. You're freaks. Yep. You're going to suffer. Right? We did it. We spent a whole long time on Peter. So I love Peter at this moment in time because we're going to get weirder and weirder and weirder. First Peter's good stuff. How about Second Peter, which we didn't do? What's going on there? Second Peter is a li- Second Peter. Well, first of all, let's do this. We'll just do Second Peter and its twin. Who is Second Peter's twin? Jude, okay? And by twin, which is not all, Second Peter has three chapters, lots of stuff about the return of Christ. In Second Peter, big stuff about the return of Christ. And Jude, if you just do it, this would be interesting. Read Jude, read Second Peter 2. 100%. One of them is copying the other, okay? Straight up <coughs> plagiarism, okay? Just read them, and you'll be like, this is self-evident that these are both there. But, but Second Peter, he's, he's dealing with the return of Christ, um, and calling them to calling them to a higher standard because everything everything is going to change. What kind of people do you want to be in this world? I love Second Peter. That'd be a fun thing to unpack sometime. All kinds of intriguing, interesting things in Peter. Okay, then what's our what's our next little triplet? John. John. Okay. First John, Second John, Third John. My guess is that of them, First John is probably the best known, and Second and Third John are virtually unknown. Is going to be my guess. So we'll set them aside for a second. First John. What's First John about? Hannah, what do you got? Assurance of salvation. So much so, right? We know, 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 right? He's deeply interested in giving you the assurance that you really are his. There's other things he's going to cover along the way. He also is very staccato, very black and white, very good and bad. But John, John's first epistle is where we go for confession, to understand confession and forgiveness, to understand assurance of salvation. It's very warm. He's, he's, he's funny because he's kind of punchy. He's like, hey, in or out, what are you doing? But it's, this, it's the epistle of love because John has been so richly loved by Jesus, right? Anything you'd add to 1 John? What that book is about? Yeah, Joyce? He's the son of God. Yes, okay. So that's a huge theme for John in his, in his, in his gospel and in his, in, his, in his letter. He loves this thing of like the son of God, but he's not just the distant son of God. He's come down. Do you get, is 1 John 1 in your brain at all? That what you've seen, looked at, and touched, tasted, and smelled. He's very sensory 
we, we were with him, we touched him, we saw him, we heard him, he was here, right? Let me write this to make our joy complete. Okay, yeah, Kat. Some warnings in there also about... Oh, yeah. You know, don't believe everything here. Yes, and although, yes, although the, the greater warnings, he's going to talk about the Antichrist, many Antichrists that have come. That's a theme of, of John's letter. And then those things are going to really bloom in 2nd and 3rd John, in fact, which are super unknown. So I'm curious, what do you got on 2nd John? Anybody know anything about 2nd John? In fact, turn to it. Just glance, because it's not, this is like one of those passages that we don't tend to look at, let's see, very often. So just take a look, see if you recognize anything from 2 John. And tell me, what does it seem to be about? John loves truth. and it, Yes, good. And this is kind of about the, the not truth in 2 John. Can you tell what the, what the essence of it is? Say it again. Anti-Gnostic. Yes. Okay, good. So Dan is saying the anti-Gnostic book. Here's the heart of it. This is, this is such a short book. There's, there's not much more. But look at verse 7. There's only one chapter. 2 John 7, or 2 John 1, 7, if you will. He says, Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you don't lose what you've worked for, but that you may be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to, you, comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. Okay? It's about false teachers. And this is such a crazy thing that very, very early, the gospel is going out, people are spreading, the missionaries are going, but right along with them, all of the phonies are going. All these fake teachers are going. He's like, stop supporting the fake ones. Okay? Um, I don't know if any of you noticed it, but this morning at our worship service, and, we're, and it was good news, there were three Mormons sitting in the front row. Three young men in suits, little tags, elder so-and-so, which is total nonsense, P.S. You know, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Elders, according to Titus, must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so they may encourage others by sound doctrine, and refute those who oppose him. I love talking to Mormons. I will never call them Elder John or Elder Smith. I'm like, what's your name? Well, it's Elder William or Elder Williamson. No, but what's your actual name? What's your mama call you? Because I can't, I will not call you an elder because you do not hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. You cannot, it's not possible for you to encourage others by sound doctrine or refute those who oppose it. You need to be refuted. So what's your name? All right? So we welcome them. They're welcome to come, but, we will, but what, what Paul is saying, or what, what John is saying here is, when he says don't welcome them into your home, don't support them, is what he means. Don't like write them a check. Don't, don't say, hey, our, my home can be a base of ministry. There are false teachers. There have been false teachers from day one. And John is like, y'all, we, we, we must not support and help and encourage and facilitate the false spread of bad ideas. Don't do it. That's what, that's what Second John is all about. Don't do it. Okay? How about Third John? What's that one about? Um, it's almost kind of the opposite of it, right? So, so it's, look at it. Go to, go to Third John. So there's false teachers, but, the, but there's also good teachers. Look at, what, look at what he says. Go to verse 5. He says, Dear friend, 
you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers. Those are the good guys, legit elders, even though they are strangers to you. They've told the church about your love and you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. What is he describing there? So, okay, and how? What's, what's, the, what's the practice? Let them stay in your house, feed them. Yes, and, wh- who, and who, what are they doing, Joyce? This is it. These are traveling evangelists, okay? Remember when Jesus said, hey, you know, leave your tunic behind and go out, you know, go out by twos and go into each village. And when you get to a village, find a man of peace, stay at his house, preach the gospel, and then go to the next town and do it again, and then go to the next town and do all that kind of stuff. This is what he's talking about. This, what they're saying here is support missionaries. That's what he's saying. Now, our structure, we don't tend to be like, hey, uh, let a missionary live in your home. Although it is, it is exactly what you do when you host fellows, okay? When a fellow comes into town to grow in Christ and to be part of the ministry of the church and people open their homes to welcome somebody. So Julie and Brian, they're gonna host a fellow this coming year, right? Nick's host, Nick and Tara have hosted fellows like 75 times or something. A whole bunch of you have hosted fellows, right? Daltons have hosted a fellow. This is, this is what we're saying. is like, let your home be a place, a base of ministry, right? That good things can, take, can, can happen. But for the most part... This needs to get translated into our, into our culture. How do you guys support missionaries? Like, actually, what do you do? Like. Right, you write them a check. You pray for them. You introduce them to people that might also be able to join their support team. We, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago when we talked about the Great Commission. Will and Beck, you're getting ready to leave and go to Cambodia. When he gets to Cambodia, the church that they're planting there, they don't have any money. There aren't any... There aren't any Christians, and if there were, there wouldn't be any Christian wealth, right? So Will and Becky are going to be able to love and support their family and buy a house and live there and do the work of the ministry because the spirit of third John is in effect. Because when John says, um, you will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. What does that mean, to send them on, or way, on their way in a manner wor- worthy of God? What does John literally mean right there? Give them money as they leave your house, right? Send them on their way with a bag of money so they can buy the food, so they can pay the rent. I don't know what kind of cars you buy in Cambodia, but do the thing. This is what John is saying, is that we, we should be, it's for the sake of the name. Are, are Will and Becky going to Cambodia because they have always longed to live in a friggin' jungle? <laughs> are they? Is this what you raised, Teresa? Like jungle love? Like, No. It's for the sake of Jesus because Jesus is so great and he deserves to be praised by Cambodians that they're going. And so write them a check. Show hospitality to them so that we may work together for the church, for the truth. Okay? That's what 3 John is about. 3 John is show hospitality to the good guys and withhold it from the bad guys is 2 John. Okay? Kat. I would just also add by giving our tithes and offerings to the church because our church supports so much mission. 100%. And so Church of the Holy Spirit, we give, ah, uh, shoot, what's the number? Our budget is about $2.4 million, and I think our giving from that, what is it? Is it like 800000 Bob? Is that right? right. So eight, we give about a third of our money away to missions. We're, we're invested in things all over the world. So even if you're not writing a direct check to somebody, but you're supporting the work of the church, like a third of whatever you give is leaving our doors to go support the spread of the gospel throughout the world. And our compassion care. That doesn't even count these guys. 
That doesn't even count. That's like another, I don't even know, 600,000 or something. I mean, it's it's extraordinary. That's 3 John being lived out. Kim, are you in here? What is our, I I think the latest number, I mean, it's 650, 750, 850, something in this space. They might say, I mean, it's a million. There's so so many things that each one at 40 bucks a month that we, these kids that we love and support, 3 John, in effect. Okay? Yeah, please. I love that he ends both those letters with, I have so much more I want to say to you, but I'm not going to do it with pen and ink. I want to talk to you face to face. Right. It's part of why they're so short. That's right. That's right. And also, Second John was written to the chosen lady, which might be the church. Yes. But he has this joy for their children walking in the truth. And Third John's written to an individual, just Gaius. Yes. He also has that joy for his children walking in the truth. And so there's a paternal, pastoral side of John. Yes. I just like that. Yeah. So let me relay that because I doubt they all heard this. So Kelly was saying that one thing that she loves, second and third John both end with the same phrase, which is so interesting. He says, he says, uh, let's see. Why they're short. Yeah, they're short little things. He says the very end of second John and third John are almost identical. He says, I have much to write to you, but I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. And then in 3 John, he says, I hope to see you soon. And we will, okay, verse 13. I have much to write to you, but I don't want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We will talk face to face. What's amazing about that to me is that he's writing Bible, right? And Bible is a particularly potent thing. But he says, ah, it's insufficient. Holy moly, right? He says, I could write you a letter that would be scripture. But what would be better is if we got together face to face. Because I miss you. And I would like to see you. And I want to be with you. Right? That, is, that has implications for us as we gather online or as we don't gather at all. Like John is affirming like we're an incorporated people. Our bodies are supposed to be near one another. I'm supposed to be able to see you and see the look in your eye. And even scripture is an insufficient match for some of the things that happen when human beings are in the same room together. Right? And again, there's, as Kelly was saying, there's all kinds of warmth and love uh, from John to both the community and the individuals that he's, that he's writing to. Okay, Jude we covered, it kind of goes with Peter. And then the last book is what? Revelation. Revelation. Okay, someday maybe we'll cover that here. What's Revelation? <laughs> what is it? God wins. God wins, yes. What does the word mean? Unveiling, uncovering the ap- the apocalypse is the unveiling. It's like it's the it's the behind the curtain. And now, behold, let me see. Let's, let's see what's happening. He's revealing to us what will happen when Jesus is finally revealed to all people. And there's, it's a freak show. Read it last. It's weird. Two rules. We've, we've done this before. What are the two rules of Revelation? Two rules. You can't get out of the gate without this. Susan, don't take it literally. Can't understand it. Yeah, but there's the thing. Old Testament, Old Testament, absolutely. That like every line, every line is an Old Testament quote or allusion. You'll never make sense of it apart from the Old Testament. And if you try to, you'll probably just get it wrong, which is okay. It can be entertaining. But if you want to know what he's saying, you got to know the source that he's drawing from, which is overwhelmingly Old Testament scripture. Okay, so 27 books in real quick fashion. And Catherine? Thank you. 
Yeah. For sure, yeah. So, you know, a hundred percent. So Kelly and I, we were on staff with Crusade for 20 years and then another campus ministry and then now Blue Ridge Fellows. We're, we are supported. Like our, our salary for our Blue Ridge Fellows work comes from a team of friends that have been with us for many, for years and years and years. Um, and then new friends that have joined us. And you're absolutely right. We're, the, the money helps us pay the mortgage. It's incredibly useful. Money is marvelously practical. But we have so many relationships with people that we love. And it's so fun to hear from people. Um, I, I just talked oh, a couple months ago, this, this summer, to a woman named Janice Hux. And Rick and Janice, they came on our team. I mean, Kelly, what was this, 1993? I mean, it was before we ever reported to campus. So it was way back in the day. And they've supported us for like 30 years. And there's such a warmth and a fondness. And we've always felt um, like they read our letters. I don't know who else reads our letters, but they read our letters, right? And they love us. And there's a kindness. And there's, there's, there's such a sweetness to be in relationship with you. Because again, we're made for relationships. This is what John is saying. It's not just, I don't just need to pay the rent, but I need to be in community with people who love me and care for me, and I'll, where I have the opportunity to love and care for them as well. So for sure. Okay, here's the thing. We've only got like five minutes, and here's what I want to do. So that's the list. But favorite passages. Here's what we're going to play a game. Anybody in the room, give me a favorite passage, but don't tell me where it comes from. And let's see, can the, can the group put it on your sheet, right? So if I were to say, okay, Jules, you got it. You want to kick us off? Give us a, give us a favorite passage, and let's see if the group can identify... Like the book and chapter. Are we talking New Testament? New Testament only for now. We'll do the old in a couple weeks. Be kind to one another, children of hearts, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Is this right? Yeah, 432. There you go. Be kind to one another. It could have been Ephesians or it could have been Colossians. Okay? But Ephesians, right? So be kind to one another, love one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So something you love there, Ephesians 4. Okay. Give us another passage. Favorite. What is a sweet, yummy gem that you know? And we'll see if anybody else knows where it is. Favorite text. I'll give you mine if you don't give me yours here. Oh, now we're giving too much away. That makes it easier at the end there, okay? So, now here's, the, here's how the game's going to work. As soon as you answer one, you're dead for the rest of the game, Okay. All right, so um, the only person that's dead right now, who was that? Okay, you don't get to play anymore, Lily. Okay, so rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Philippians, Philippians 4. All right, and then it ends with this, like, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication. Philippians 4. Okay, good. Favorite passage. Now we have two people that don't get to play anymore. Favorite passage. What do you got? Okay, Isaac. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Very good. Where is this? All scriptures God breathed. Timothy. Timothy. 3.16. Right? Dan, you're dead now. It's too bad. It's really disincentivized us playing the game, right? This is one of these great texts on, on the scripture, the inspiration of the scriptures. All scriptures, God breathed. Useful. Okay, favorite text. Can we, okay, Joyce. I'm not going to quote it perfectly, but it's like, God doesn't want anyone to perish, like he's slow, so he's patient and slow to like make... God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. Where is that? Who says that? 
What is it? Paul. Is, uh, I don't, I can't, it, it's not, it's not Paul. It's Peter. Yeah. Um, but is it first or second? I think it's second. Is it first Peter? I think it's second Peter, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Second Peter three, maybe. You can look it up. Is that right? Second Peter three? God is patient. Doesn't want anyone to perish. All right, Kelly. No, you're done. Oh, oh, did I answer that one? No, no, no. Somebody else said it first. <laughs> All right. Everybody leave. No, 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 no. Uh, okay. Uh, how about, give me, give me another one. Favorite passage. Just do something. From, pick a gospel. Something from a gospel. Okay, wait. No, you can go first, and then we'll go to a gospel. Be still and know that I am God. Uh, be still. Okay. Uh, New Testament? Be still and know that I am God? That feels Old Testament. Am I wrong? Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Okay, so we'll say that for next week. That's coming, or in two weeks. So that's okay. Gospels. Yeah, Stuart. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? Is not body more than clothing? clothing. Very good. Okay, where is that? Don't be anxious about anything, your clothes, your food. Where is that? Suzanne? Yeah, where-ish? Five, six, somewhere in there, yeah. Somewhere in the mount. What, what, what's the chapter? Is it five or six? Five. Six, six twenty-five. There you go. You got it. Favorite passage. Where is it? I'm the vine. You're the branches. Where's that? John 15. I love that. That's a, that's a fantastic passage. One, one more, and we got to go. You guys got to go to church. Favorite text. Who gets that? Who's going to close this off? <coughs> Something yummy. Spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all? Excellent. You hear that? No. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? <laughs> what would you say? It is Romans 8. Good job, Joshua. Romans 8. Best thing ever written. All right. And then, Darian, did you want to raise your hand? Are you going to give us a final? Yeah, this is short. Um, he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, there's that theme is going to be a couple places. I think I know the one you're thinking of, but let's see. <coughs> I will never leave you or forsake you. The setup to it is keep, yourself, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Where is it? Dryan? Hebrews 5. Uh, later than 5. I think it's 10, isn't it? It's definitely Hebrews. I think it's Hebrews 10. Or maybe, even, no, it's even later. It's Hebrews like 16 or, no, 13. Hebrews 13. It's late. It's the very end of Hebrews. 13. Yeah. Oh, 13. Ver, verse 5. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the very end of Hebrews. Yeah, very good. Okay. So, got it? Filled with treasure. You can find it. Next week, we're going to do this thing for the Old Testament, okay? All right, have a great week. We'll talk to you later.